It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Here at Cyber, we've talked extensively about the Cavalier private surveillance industry. Like when we caught various companies, including T-Mobile, Sprint, and AT&T, selling phone location data to middlemen companies that hawked it on the black market. And in one recent story, motherboard reporter Joseph Cox has been following what has become a bloody trail that leads back to real-time location data. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. You're good. Okay, cool. So, Joseph, where does this story begin? What happened exactly? Walk me through it. So, in a May afternoon, two federal officers walk into a Nissan dealership in Texas. They tell the manager or the owner there, we're trying to capture this fugitive, Ramon Hutchinson, who's on the run from Minnesota for a drug charge. The dealership agrees, yes, you can wait for this person trying to apprehend him. Um, there was a family of five in the dealership as well, uh, just going around, people buying cars a normal afternoon. It turns out these weren't two federal agents, though. They were illegally posing as law enforcement. These were, in fact, two bounty hunters who worked for a company called FNG Security. Now, they were there to capture the fugitive. They just weren't who they said they were. And... Ramon Hutchinson arrives back at the dealership. The two bounty hunters corner this person, weapons drawn. One of them tries to grab Hutchinson from behind. A gun falls out of the fugitive's belt onto a table. There's a scuffle trying to grab it. And then all of a sudden, there are 20 handgun shots, presumably from all three of their weapons, or at least a couple of them, uh, across six seconds. And all three men die pretty soon after that. So this doesn't exactly scream cyber. So what happened that that was connected to it? Right, yeah, it is a bounty hunter story initially, but then we found that through leaked documents from a company called Circare One, this is one of the firms that provides phone location data to bounty hunters. In there, some of the phone location data was used to track one of the bounty hunters, not just on the day of this incident, but, you know, very shortly after, and tracked them to the exact spot outside the dealership. So to be clear, we don't know if phone location data was used to track Ramon Hutchinson. Before the triple shooting, there is data showing that a phone from Minnesota, again, where Hutchinson was on the run from, was located or pinged, to use their term, several times in the run-up. We couldn't determine who actually owns that phone um, because it seemed to be a relatively new number and it wasn't linked to any identities. But you go through those records and, yeah, you do see that someone was looking at where these bounty hunters were after the shooting. So there is a technology element here and particularly a data-selling element as well. So what you're saying is there was this incident that on the surface looks like a bounty hunter's arrest of a fugitive gone poorly, but there's potential. I mean, all signs seem to point towards the fact that they were using location data to track the person that they inevitably died for. Yeah, I mean, we can say for sure 
that data was used after the murders. I suppose I would frame it as there was this tragic event where three people died and someone somewhere was presumably connected to this incident looking up the, the locations of the mobile phones. I don't think it's a coincidence that just after the shooting, after this um, job to try to pick up the fugitive, that someone just happened to look at these bounty hunters' phones and see where they were located. It's indicative of the sort of incidents that phone location data can be linked to. And it just sort of shows this, I mean, at least another example of how signals intelligence tracking technology is now being sort of proliferated and used by bounty hunters, and it could lead to things like this. Yeah, I mean, Senator Ron Wyden, of course, who's been very vocal on this subject, he said that it's not just been about personal privacy, it is about safety as well. And again, although we can't say that the data you know, definitively tracked, was used to track the fugitive, clearly this is, this is an issue of public safety when three people are dying and a family of five have entered a lawsuit to try to sue the dealership for putting them in danger as well. It's not just about the data. How does this, this event, I mean, this very tragic event, sort of build on the reporting that you'd done previously? I think it shows more of a human face um, and the consequences um, around this data. Again, I'm, I'm stressing that we're not saying that the data led to the killings or the murders. Of course, that would be ridiculous. Uh, these people died because there was a violent shootout. The data did not kill them at all. But it does still show that this data is being sold in the real world. Um, I mean, you look at other data stories like, say, Cambridge Analytica, which is something of a pet peeve for me. Um, that doesn't really have a huge tangible impact on someone's life. You now look at a case like this, and it seems likely there are others as well, considering just how widely used the service was among bounty hunters. It shows that there is some, there's something more immediate, concrete, and visceral when it comes to this sort of data as opposed to other types. I mean, that's the thing it, it does for me. It's sort of, I think we still, even in you know 2019, I think we think of, of the cyber as very sort of impenetrable and weird and crazy, but it, it never really ends up with someone dead. And this is a case of it, of it actually showing that not only are these types of technologies widely available, but you know, they're being used and they can lead to bad things. Yeah, I mean, I think it touches a bit on the same thread about stalkerware, which is this malware when you physically have access to the phone, you put it on there and you can follow the person's location and get all of their messages. And um, as you know, it's heavily used in abusive relationships. That is showing a concrete impact of somebody using um, a piece of technology, which a few years ago would have been relatively obscure. Um, this is a similar sort of thing, but with the location data that's been sold by the carriers, such as AT&T, T-Mobile, and Sprint, and trickle down to use cases like this. When you look at the data of how many phones this particular account was used to locate, the same account that located the bounty hunter's phone after the shooting, over a course of a number of years, it was also used to locate some 4,500 um, 
it was used that many times. It was used thousands and thousands of times. And that leads my source who provided the data to believe that this person was selling their phone location data access on the black market. Because not many people need to ping 4,500 um, phone numbers, even if you're a bounty hunter. And according to the terms and conditions of this phone location service, you're only supposed to use two IP addresses. You know, this is to minimize abuse. Maybe you connect from your mobile phone or, you know, from two workstations or something like that. We go through and there are people connecting from Lithuania, from Israel, all across the United States. So it does look like not only is it sort of unprofessional people apparently connect to this data, but it looks like others are reselling it as well. And of course, that is where a lot of the abuse um, can come in as well. It does make me wonder how, you know, if, if these kind of like smaller security bounty hunter firms can get access to this kind of technology, it makes you wonder what the NSA would have or what some of these larger, more well-financed intelligence agencies have at their disposal. I mean, we saw that recent report um, from a cybersecurity company that suspected Chinese hackers have broken into a number of telcos to get location information and call records and that sort of thing. Now, that is clearly an intelligence-led operation uh, and obtaining that information. What made me kind of look at it twice was that, well, if you're in the US, you could just buy that data. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't need to be um, a government uh, hacking unit to be able to get hold of that data if you're looking for the United States. Of course, these alleged Chinese hackers were targeting, I think, UK or maybe European telcos as well, where you probably couldn't just buy the data. America is fine. Your money's green. You can just buy some location information. Well, that's a very, very happy thought to think that that sort of very private data is just up to the highest bidder. Yeah, I mean, at least it was. Of course, after our reporting, the telcos have now stopped that. And I believe they all stopped with by the beginning of May. So it's no longer ongoing. Uh, but there is still, um, as far as I know, the black market trade. Um, even if people can't get hold of this data legitimately through you know, the telco data supply chain, there are others who are still finding ways to buy it on the underground. There must be. I mean, especially when you know that this location data can also be very profitable, right? Yeah, I mean, apparently it wasn't that profitable for the telcos, as in they would only make, I say only, only make a few millions off it, as in it wasn't tens of millions, it was single-digit millions. But as you say, there's a lot more profitable for the people elsewhere in that supply chain. So that could be... um, well, there could be the individual bounty hunters who can obviously make, if you are offered 50 grand to pull someone in, you spend um, a few hundred dollars, maybe a few thousand dollars on a black market phone ping. That is exceptionally profit. Uh, that's an exceptional profit for you because you can go pick up this person. If you then sell a ping on the black market, you can do a markup of, you know, 200, 300, 400%. It's the people at the bottom of the supply chain who probably have. Um, more to gain from this, but that is ultimately where the abuse actually happens as well, is with the end user, the actual bounty hunter or the stalker or the abusive partner who ends up getting hold of this data. And do you suspect that there's more stories like this very tragic event in in Texas that are going to kind of come out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even from 
when T-Mobile responded to a letter from Senator Wyden and he said, we've uncovered another instance of a company that got hold of um, some data. I imagine that there are going to be more stories like this to trickle out. Obviously, um, we're looking into more leads as they come up as well. Um, but that is sort of the issue with this story. I feel like even though we've done several different articles on it uh, based on buying the data ourselves, a leak of documents and data from inside a company, various sources who do this and buy phone location data, I really feel like as cliche as it is that we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. When thousands, tens of thousands of phones are being geolocated this way, there has to be more abuse out there. Absolutely. Well, uh, this story definitely struck me, and I, I, I really wanted to, to showcase it. All right, Joseph, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. This week's episode was recorded and edited by Dean White, produced by Lorenzo Franceschi Bicherai, and hosted by me, Ben Maku. You'll be hearing from us next week. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.